0: Subscribe now and download wherever you get your podcasts. As always,
1: thanks for listening. Hello, I'm David Marsden from The Evening Standard. Follow The Leader or hit subscribe and you'll get our news, analysis and commentary every day at 4pm. Give us a rating whenever you get your podcast too. Now, from The Evening Standard in London, this is The Leader. <laughs> Let's take a break from the chaos at the moment and remember how it used to be when going to a restaurant was an easy thing to do. You could book a table without thinking about your social bubble or having to remember a face mask when you leave the house. The Evening Standard has always supported London's restaurants, and at the head of that has been Faye Mashler. 48 years ago, she entered a competition to be our reviewer. 14,000 meals later, she's putting down the cutlery as our chief restaurant critic. In this special edition of The Leader, she tells us about her pioneering career, including the death threats she got, how the scene has changed in London over the decades, is Marco Pierre White really the greatest chef this country's ever produced, and Of course, when it comes down to it, what is her favourite restaurant? She spoke to our Reveller editor, David Ellis. So, Faye, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you very much.
0: Right back in 1972, when you won the competition and got the job as our critic, did it ever feel particularly unusual or did you settle into it straight away?
2: Well, my husband was thrilled because the standard paid the bills for for when we went out. I loved having a job, but nevertheless being able to be at home with my then two small children. And I obviously was writing from home and mostly going out in the evenings. So it fitted into... My life very well. Uh, I didn't feel too guilty about going back to work as one did in those days, or what one was supposed to in those days.
0: How did restaurants respond when you started doing this? It must have been a surprise for them, and certainly at that time, restaurants were a very male dominated industry. So to have you come in and give your very honest opinion, um, you know, you're, you've got a famously sharp tongue. <laughs> what, <do> I? <laughs> what was the response like?
2: People were outraged. I mean, male restaurateurs and chefs, particularly, couldn't. Couldn't get the head round a woman coming in, and in those days quite a young woman, you know, saying things that perhaps weren't the things they wanted to hear. And I used to get death threats and things like that. And because I was married, I'm not Jewish, but I was married to Tom Mashler, who is, was Jewish, um, I'd get anti-Semitic abuse, even then in those days. And yeah. I got a death threat, and I took it round to the local police station, and I think it was sort of scrawled in pencil saying, I'm coming to stab you to death. And I showed it to the guy at the desk in the Hampstead police station, and he looked at it for ages and said, oh, I think this uh, constitutes a threat. And then that was the end of that. I never did anything about it, and I'm still alive.
0: Well, um, thank goodness, gosh, that's really shocking. I've never heard that. Um, How did you cope with it?
2: I felt quite... I always have felt quite inviolable, so I didn't think this chap was going to be able to track me down to the Vale of Health, where I was then living. Uh, to stab me to death. I just felt sorry for him because clearly he'd lost his job on account of something I'd written. I think mm. he was a, an Italian waiter. Uh, and I felt badly about that. You know, that's the trouble with being critical. You, you have a, can have a bad effect on people's lives.
0: Those restaurants that you were going to at the beginning, could you just describe how much the scene has changed because I think food now is quite a democratic thing you can spend a five-runner on a, on a meal uh, or certainly a course or you can spend thousands if you want to but back then uh, certainly through the 70s and 80s it wasn't like that was it?
2: No when I started in the early 70s it was pretty class-ridden I mean people might go out just occasionally maybe on their birthday or on a Saturday night but it wasn't like a normal thing to do it wasn't a normal way of entertaining yourself and restaurants divided fairly neatly into hotel dining rooms, men's clubs and posh places and then at the other end of the scale greasy spoons and not a lot in between although my, my starting coincided with, with bistros opening with daft names and usually quite daft food um, but they, they flourished in that period. And Italian restaurants always did well.
0: Speaking of some of those dodgy meals in dodgy bistros with dodgy names, people do tend to think of dining out for a living to be rather a glamorous affair. But there must have been some stinkers along the way.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's really churlish to complain about my jobs. I never do. But yeah, there have been real bad moments i mean i remember going i think this was when i was married to reg i remember going to a place called chittagong charlie in temple fortune and reg couldn't believe how bad it was and i'm always prepared to sort of look for the best but it really was dire and i'm pretty sure it doesn't exist anymore
0: let's hope they're not listening if they have (laughs) managed to battle through Something I've always got from your reviews is more a sense of the restaurant rather than just a dichotomy of the food. What do you think it is that makes a good restaurant?
2: Well, it's a combination of things, but it isn't just the food for sure. You know, if the food's superb, but the service is, is unpleasant or, or if it's overpriced or horribly decorated, you know, I think there has, there's a combination of things. I think everybody understands that that makes a restaurant somewhere you want to return to, somewhere you enjoy being. And I think it's rarely attached
0: to the food, actually. Which of those are you proudest to have brought to the reader's attention?
2: I really like making a discovery, and it's often with the help of friends or or actually readers who get in touch, uh, finding a place that for some reason has gone unsung or underappreciated. And I would include among those a Polish restaurant called Patio in Shepherd's Bush, which was serving just a kind of English calf meal, but at the bottom of the menu were Polish dishes. And the person who wrote to me said, you know, try the Polish food. I tried the Polish food. I loved the couple who were running it. They were absolutely intrinsically hospitable, generous. And the food wasn't marvellous, but it was a lovely place. And quite often they had a pianist, a Russian pianist. And it was. I became, in the end, great friends with them. And I changed their bank balance from being in the red to being in the black. I know that because they tell me. And then Otto had Otto's, bit the same. He was going unsung in a sort of very shabby storefront in Inn Road. And it was Simon Hopkinson who saw it and said to me, do you know Otto's? Is it new? I said, no, it's not new. No, I haven't been. And he was d- doing um, press duck. So Simon and I ordered a duck, went there. And I just discovered this insane but wonderful man born to born to serve, born to front you know, to be a Maitre d', and that's very unusual and it was lovely.
0: Which leads us to the extraordinary figure that we worked out today, which is that you've been for something like fourteen thousand meals. Well, yeah. Do you find that you can recall some of those? You can think back to say nineteen eighty four and think, well I, oh that was the period that I went to so and so or have they sort of meshed into one.
2: Yeah, there are some meals that definitely stand out and that are probably, in a way, signals of turning points in how restaurants have developed and so dramatically for the better. Yeah, I can remember a few, but mostly they boil down to into a sort of compost of... <laughs> <laughs> Average restaurants.
0: Gosh, a compost of average restaurants. (laughs) That should be the headline.
2: Maybe the title for my new book.
0: One of those that you do speak of, being very memorable, is Marco Pierre White, who's obviously such a familiar name, so many people. Is he the greatest chef that this country has known, do you think? And was Harvey's one of the best meals you ever had?
2: Well, certainly some of Marco's cooking was some of the best cooking I've had in this country whether best I think is a bit dangerous adjective but he he was incredibly gifted and he he had an instinct for cooking which was palpable and different different to other people you know he's quite feral and generally I don't think he'd mind me saying that and it somehow came out in a very positive way in how he cooked
0: you, you mentioned the instinct that he had how did that come across?
2: Well, he he was a great poacher probably early on and then, then a more well-brought-up hunter, gatherer, shooting, fishing. He loved that. So when he was cooking, say, wild salmon, it was as if he understood the soul of the fish. Um, and the same with game. He was incredible. And that was something which maybe people since have also manifested, but at the time, and we're talking about the eighties, I suppose. It was unusual. He was unusual anyway. You know, he's an unusual human being and he was unusual as a chef. I mean, usual because he was driven and manic, but unusual in his approach.
0: One question I'm sure you've had over every decade that you've been reviewing is where shall I go? What do you say to that?
2: Go where you're known best. When you go somewhere and they know you and they treat you well, you're going to have a, probably have a better time than somewhere different. And then people ask, you know, what's your favourite restaurant? That's always a very tedious question. And, again, I go where, well, my favourite is Reva in Barnes because I don't have to order, he just brings food. And that's wonderful. I mean, that's wonderfully relaxing. And he brings out great wines and, you know, I pay the bill, but... Quite a lot of people uh, in the food business really like Riva because he gets hold of really excellent ingredients, doesn't muck about them much, and his staff are really good. He plays music I like, and sometimes there's a kind of lockdown at the end where he plays music I like and drink, I drink more bottles of Italian red.
0: So 48 yep. years is quite an extraordinary achievement. Uh, And I think you're the Standard's longest-serving journalist. Um, I suppose the question is, would you do it all again?
2: Absolutely, yes. I feel totally lucky and blessed to have won that competition and got the job and been able to carry on with it um, from... I mean, I remember Ben being born when he was born in '74, and I remember the hospital... In an enlightened moment, said, We'll babysit, you go out. And I went out and reviewed a restaurant for the standard. And it's just been very much integral to my life and it's affected their lives in quite good ways. So, yes, I do it all over again.
0: Well, Faye, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It's been fascinating to hear about it. It's been such a journey. And just on a personal note, it's been a real pleasure to work with you. I'm very grateful.
2: On a personal note, it's been a real pleasure to work with you. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: David's written a piece on Faye's career for the newspaper, and you can also get that online at standard.co.uk. Faye's not entirely left us, by the way. She'll still be a contributor on our Reveller pages. The chief restaurant critic job is being taken up by Jimmy Famuroa. That's the Leader Podcast. We're back tomorrow, probably with Brexit. Sorry.